Welcome back to the Lyme Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is with the beautiful Gloria Mark, Dr. Gloria Mark. She's a chancellor professor in the Department of Informatics at University of California, Irvine. She's the author of the forthcoming book, Attention Span, has published over 200 scientific research articles, and is noted for her research on social computing and the social impacts of digital media. Uh, This conversation gets into attention span, how to hone in your attention span if you're feeling distracted, like I'd imagine many people would be in this day and age. Um, The effects of social media, uh, of screen time, uh, the bombardment of distractions that we have throughout our days, what does that actually do um, materialistically, neurologically to the brain? What does it do to our emotional self? What does it do to our relationships? And how do we get that back if it even matters? So this conversation is really fun. I think you guys can enjoy it. I also want to invite you guys to jump on the waiting list for the Align Method online program, which will be launching early 2023. I am so immensely proud of this thing. Uh, it takes a person from, first of all, getting a self-assessment, which is completely free. There's a free trial. I also break down fundamental mobility techniques in that trial. Uh, and then the week two is recovering full functional range of motion of all of the joints in your lower body. Week three is your upper body. Week four is connecting up to down, left to right, integration of all the parts. Week five is nervous system regulation and week six is environment. I think this is one of the best ways to start any freaking new year, I would say, Um, and or just any day in general, but you know, new year, new you, it's a whole thing. Um, So jump over there if you're interested in getting on the waiting list, we will only only be accepting 500 people. It will absolutely fill up. Um, So jump over there ASAP. It is at alignpodcast.com slash AMP. That is alignpodcast.com slash AMP. The first week is absolutely free, and then you can choose whether you want to go deeper into the program or not. That is it. That is all. I appreciate you guys big time, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Gloria, for coming on and discussing your your upcoming book. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, yeah. I uh, I wanted to start off, what the heck has happened? What is the the difference between the attention span of someone from, say, 20 years ago compared to today. Can we just start with that? Yeah. So (laughs) I started studying attention spans uh, a little over 15 years ago, uh, mainly because I was experiencing my own struggles with trying to stay Mm -hmm. focused when I was using my Mm -hmm. computer. And I, I noticed that as the digital age was progressing and we were getting more and more different kinds of apps uh, to try out that it was getting harder and harder for me to stay on any screen or to stay on any task. And I, I noticed how I kept flipping back and forth between projects and, um, and screens. And I started looking around me and was trying to figure out, is it just me or other people having the same problem and other people started reporting that they also were having trouble focusing. So as a scientist, I thought I should examine this empirically. So uh, I began to study people's attention span on their computer screens. Uh, And back in 2004, we found that the average 
uh, screen duration of attention was about two and a half minutes on average Mm. before people would switch to something else. Uh, And let me point out that I, rather than bringing people into a laboratory, I I don't set up an experiment to test this, but I actually would go to where people were in their real world environments. And the people I studied were knowledge workers or information workers in a variety of different work roles. And so we observed what people were doing as they were using their devices. So flash forward, you know, and I I would measure this periodically over the years, and then flash forward the last uh, several years that I've been measuring it, there seems to have reached a steady state of about 47 seconds on average of attention on any screen before switching. And um, my graduate student for her dissertation uh, in 2019 studied 50 information workers and tracked their attention duration over a 30-day period, and she found it to average 44 seconds before switching. So it, it it's a robust phenomenon, and other people have replicated this result as well. So our attention spans are shrinking. What are the implications of that outside of, because obviously in 2004, if this, I mean, and there's a lot more data around this than just that, but in 2004, there was other kind of like, probably some noise in the data in the sense of like to switch a page you're like oh god you're gonna watch it spin around for a while and it's just like once you finally get your page you're like okay i'm gonna stick this one out um you know you could perhaps say that by focusing in on a page for less time maybe it's like we're able to process information fast at a faster rate um, but then also you see increase in anxiety increase in depression increase in you know a lot of illness so like how do you kind of parse that apart into to meaningful data for our, 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 like real waking lives. Yes. Not that that's not meaningful data, but it's still, there's a lot, there's a lot within that still. Yeah. So, um, what we find is that as the attention shifting increases, so do people's stress. And so we, we measure people's stress in real time along with, uh, their computer attention duration. So we use computer log. I use a variety of different kinds of sensors, when I measure these. And so we, we log people's computer activities so we can actually get timestamps, exact timestamps to see when people are switching. We also have people wearing heart rate monitors, which measures their heart rate variability. That's, that's the variability between heart beats, the time between yeah. beats and the variability of that. And the, the idea is that when that a very, when the variability is higher, people are more relaxed. And the reason is because if you're really relaxed, the least little stimulus that you experience makes you jump, right? And that's why you have high variability. But if you're really stressed and it, you're in this, you know, fight or flight kind of situation, you're heartbeat is very regular, right? You're stressed and your system is expressing that. And so Mm. we find this correlation of, you know, attention switching on the computer with, you know, with higher stress. 
how do you how do you um, map that out from a neurological perspective? Is there brain imaging and things of the sort where you could see a, a, a more highly attentive brain compared to one that's maybe more like, you know, obviously ADHD uh, would be an example of that, but just a more distracted mind? Yeah. It's, it is certainly possible to do that. Uh, there are various techniques that can be um, that can be used, but then people have to be brought into a laboratory, and people are, you know, their their heads have to be relatively stable to be able to measure attention in conjunction with, uh, you know, what's going on in the brain. So, um, but I I imagine that new technologies will come along that will enable this kind of measurement in, in real world situations where people's, you know, they're turning their heads all the time. They're, you know, they're, they're much more um, flexible in, in what they look at. Yeah. So it's, it seems apparent that the attentional deck is stacked against a modern consumer. Um, You see that in the um, social dilemma documentary would be a really prominent um, kind of like over overlay of, of all of all of what's happening within that so is that is is that inherently like bad like is this it's is, it's empirically speaking is it making us sick is it making us anxious is it making us depressed is there any kind of musculoskeletal you know, nervous system tonicity of our, 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 our muscles. Is there any kind of references back to that? Is there increased likelihood of, I don't know, suicide? Like what are the connections that we can draw back to a, a lack of attention specifically? Yeah. So, so let me, let me back up there for a moment um, on something that you first mentioned. There's, um, there's a paradox that we're experiencing in that, you know, computer technologies have been designed to extend our capabilities, right? To become extensions of ourselves, to enable us to do more, right? And yet, uh, we don't. We our our human mind is a bottleneck. You know, there's a limit to how much information we can process, and so people, you know, because we are enticed by the technology. You know, we want to use it to its full capability. But as a result, yes, we, we are becoming exhausted. We are becoming stressed. Uh, you know, now there's a whole other topic that people can talk about when, when you mention suicide, which relates to the content of what people are digesting. Mm. But in terms yeah. of just you know, attention duration and processing of information, we, we are overwhelmed, we are exhausted. And there, there is pressure on mm. all of us to try to keep up with the information. And it's, it's more than just a fear of missing out, right? There's all kinds of social interactions that are wrapped up in this. And, and it's our social natures that make us want to stay on top of yeah. answering email and Slack and responding to social media. So there's all, all our social natures are involved yeah. in that as well. Yeah. And the reason I mentioned this, as I said, the suicide, I was like, I was like, Oh, that might be a bit of a jump, but just concurrently 
that self-harm and suicide is, is statistically speaking, seems to be increasing from what I read, you know, as attention is decreasing, that's not to say that there's any connection or maybe there's a direct connection. It's just, you know, I wonder how, if there is any way to, to tie some of these different like you know, human pathologies, I guess you could say, or, or, or health pathologies back to attention as, yeah. as one of the drivers of those. A, a question I have though is, what is at the uh, the root of a this waning um, level of attention? Is it just that the deck is kind of set kind of ag- against consumers just because it's like the it's the, the the notifications and the bells and you know all of the different systems that are in place to keep you wanting to come back for more? And that's all, you know, the social dilemma. And, and I imagine your book as well probably taps into some of that stuff. Um, or is it perhaps maybe something like, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate, who've had one here a couple of times as well. We're actually recording another one with him in like a few weeks. Um, something that he enlightened me on is the, the perspective of ADHD being like a learned distractedness. And it's actually a coping mechanism for I mean it's probably lots of things but mm-hmm. a, a, another perspective less common perspective is that it's a early on you know something you learned in childhood or one would learn in childhood as a a coping mechanism to kind of repress their present situation because it was like it's it was too stressful so there it was actually a, a successful coping mechanism to um, engage in something else and and, and not be present because what's happening presently just, you know, it hurts too much. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I wonder what's, what, what from your perception and experience teaching this and being a professor of this and writing a book about this, like, what do you think is the, at the root of all of this, if there is something or things at, at the root? Yeah, I, I would say that we have created a culture for ourselves that uh, on many levels reinforces us to have short attention spans. And absolutely, algorithmic, targeted notifications definitely has something to do with it in hijacking our attention. Um, We experience what's called bottom-up salience. When you see a targeted ad, and especially if it reaches some basic emotional experience that connects with you, your your attention is going to be drawn to it. But there's a lot more that's going on other than that. So, of course, some people are born with very good self-regulation skills. And so they're, they're very good at being able to focus their attention and stay on track and not be distracted. Uh, not everyone is born with good self-regulation skills. Uh, some people are quite challenged. But there's, you know, I mentioned we're in this culture. We've created a culture for ourselves. And the culture is made up of the different technologies that exist. It's it's not just algorithmic notifications. It's the very design of the internet itself. And I can go into that. It's um, other kinds of media that people are exposed to, film, TV shot lengths, have also decreased over the years, averaging to about four seconds a a shot length. Uh, And um, there's also uh, our emotions. 
there's there are certain kinds of uh, actions and content that we respond to that have a particular emotional resonance for us. And that attracts our attention. Uh, there's we get social rewards. So there's a lot a lot more. So how does a person start to reclaim their attentional capacities? Where does one start with 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 regaining their ability to stay on task? Yeah. So I I do I I am optimistic that people can do it. And um, you know, when the pandemic started, my university offered a course in mindfulness. And it it was such a great course, it was mindfulness-based stress reduction. And at that time, you know, everybody was so very stressed, um, you know, people were experiencing loneliness um, and, you know, they felt like they were falling behind. And so the, the course was, was great and it was offered for free. And so I took it. And then I realized that some of the ideas from mindfulness could actually be applied to what we're doing when we're using our computers. And so I, came up with this idea that I call practicing meta-awareness. And it's very similar to mindfulness in the sense that, you know, mindfulness, um, the idea is that you should stay in the present. And if you stay in the present, you have less anxiety and, um, you know, you're, you're not regretting the past. You're not you're not anxious about the future, but you're staying in the present. And I thought when people are, when their attention is shifting, uh, what's important is to bring habitual actions to your conscious awareness and to become conscious. And so, you know, I might have a habit of checking news sites. You know, I always check news sites, but I began to ask myself, do I really need to go to that news site right now? Do I, do I really need a break? And so I began to ask myself these questions. Uh, I'm a professional observer of people when I study them. And I discovered that I could be a professional observer about my own behavior, right? I can develop an analytical mindset about what I'm doing. And so I began to try this out and I found it really helped me. And when I would go to a new site or I would go to social media, I would again try to bring my mind into the present and ask myself questions. Have I already you know, experienced value, enough value from this site? And if so, time to get back to work, you know, stop hmm. this and, and go back. And so it's, it's helped keep me focused. There's, there's other things as well. I'm going to take a moment and share about something that has absolutely knocked my socks off and I was quite skeptical about in the beginning that is utilizing exogenous ketones as a fantastic source of fuel as mental clarity and it also reduces appetite which is kind of an interesting side effect as well um, i've done a whole podcast episode all about the benefits of it i really love using it before a podcast episode i just drank a bottle before reading this ad actually and it's it does an interesting thing 
it induces that similar sensation that you'd have after doing an extended fast and your body transitioning over into ketosis. And uh, it's like a almost euphoric, upbeat, energetic, cognitively clear sensation. It's highly recommended. I would, I would just, just give it a try. Uh, if you don't absolutely love it, no worries. You can get your money back. But I think it's one of those things. Just it's supportive to have in your toolkit. Uh, so the company is called HBMN. Uh, the drink is called Ketone IQ. I recorded a whole podcast with the founder of the company and got into the deep details of what the heck is going on with this. And I think you guys are going to dig it. So go to HVMN.com and then check out. Type in the code Align dash 20 and you will save 20% off on your purchase. That's hvmn.com. And then at checkout, type in A-L-I-G-N dash 20 and you will receive 20% off your purchase. My absolute favorite beverages for an afternoon pick-me-up. Really amazing for reducing stress, feeling calm, feeling at ease, uh, placing myself into a restorative state, also with clarity and energy. That is Organifi Green Juice. I drop a couple scoops of that into a blender, throw a couple ice cubes in there, blend it up. That is it. That is all. It tastes absolutely amazing. Love sharing it with friends. And uh, it's just a, a brilliant blend for a little energetic support in the afternoon. You can take it anytime, but I usually take it in the afternoon. Uh, so I highly recommend this stuff. If you want to get yourself a 20% discount, then you can jump over to Organifi.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash align. 20% is a fantastic discount. Uh, they have a 100% money back guarantee if you're not completely beyond satisfied with the product. I am completely confident you guys are going to really dig Organifi Green Juice. It is a fantastic way to cover your bases from a vitamin, mineral, and antioxidant perspective. So jump over to Organifi.com slash align for 20% off. I've heard you mention before you're a fan of, of Albert, uh, you'd probably say his name, Bandura. Bandura. Or Bandura. Or Bandura. However you know yeah. yeah. Um, but his a big part of his research was around self-efficacy and agency and being able to make you know these decisions for yourself as opposed to kind of being at the whim of of the algorithm not at that point the algorithm but addiction or whatever it may be but actually being able to have a bit more self-agency over the the choices that we make that's a daunting task for a, a lot of people you know it seems like oh yeah of course agency like i you know i choose for myself but when it comes into things like drug addiction or when it comes into things like vaping or things like checking notifications uh it's not as as easy as it would seem sometimes just be like oh yeah i've i've checked my phone too much today you know so is there from your research and experience is there any any other kind of steps for a person like cool great i'm observing this you know i'm starting to have some meta awareness about this and I'm still on my phone for six hours a day. Yeah. You know, is there like, what's, what's the next, the next level down? Right. So Bandura also talks about the idea of forethought, practicing forethought to develop agency. And what that means is to imagine how your current actions are going to affect your life downstream. And I think, mm. I think the unit of time that's best to consider is the end of the day. So if I go on social media now 
and I know I might have a tendency to spend an hour on it, or if I go to a game, I might spend a long time on it. Imagine what your end of the day will look like. And what's right. going to happen to you at 10 p.m.? Are, are you going to be still working on that overdue report, right? If you're a student, are you still going to be trying to study and cram for that exam? Or are you going to be relaxing and watching your, your favorite show? And so hmm. applying forethought to think about how your current action affects uh, your, your future, you know, downstream in the day. I've seen research around that in relation to, um, I think it was showing individuals or subjects in, in the, the study. I, I bet you're familiar with this and I bet you I'm butchering it, but I think it was like either visualizing or showing them pictures of themselves as older adults. And I, I believe if I remember correctly, it was around investing and like the level of investment that a person would, would make and the decisions that they would make today. Uh, and if, if you're either visualizing or looking at some picture that would have been, you know, fabricated somehow of yourself in 40 years, suddenly the concept of delayed gratification becomes a lot easier, you know, then you're like, Oh no, like there's no, there's no future, you know, elderly version of me. This is, it's just this right now. Screw it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an, that's an interesting idea to start to kind of time travel into like, Oh yeah. Like how do I be the friend of myself 30 years from now. It, 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 makes, it, it makes things concrete, right? And it also helps solidify your goals. It makes your, brings your goals also to a conscious awareness, if, you, if mm. you can imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. So is it, I think coming back again, like in real time, if a person does, lacks attentional capacity, I guess could be a, like a, like a, a necessarily wordy way of saying it in day-to-day -day life. What does it do to a person? I know we talked about it, is it's, is there a direct association to reduced attention to anxiety? Is there a direct association to perhaps depression or is all this kind of like speculative correlation? Well, you know, there, there's also uh there, there is a correlation that when people are stressed, it's hard for them to focus. Right. And if people uh, are exhausted in their attentional resources, they can't focus, and it also leads to stress. So, you know, another thing that people can do to try to uh, increase their attention spans is to become aware of your level of cognitive resources or attentional resources. And I like to think of this as a gas tank. And there's things we do that can replenish our tank and fill us with, with gas and attentional capacity. There's things we do that can drain this tank. And of course, we, we know things we can do. We can get a good night's sleep. We can you know, take breaks. Walking outside for 20 minutes is uh, has remarkable effects on on creativity and what's called divergent thinking, thinking of different kinds of ideas. But there's also things we do that can drain our resources. And that's um, having long sustained focus can, can drain us. 
you can't lift weights all day without getting exhausted in the same way you can't focus nonstop for a long period of time without getting tired. And so it's important to become aware of your level of attentional resources and understand when it's time to pull back and replenish. You don't want to get to the point of getting yourself exhausted, but yeah. stop before you get to that point. Yeah, that's interesting. There's there's like um, another thing that I'm sure you're familiar with is, is uh, attention restoration theory uh, from Kaplan, Kaplan, Kaplan. There, there's like a, a couple, I think, it's in like the 70s or 80s. And it's just all about probably a lot of things, but big thing is how nature is just so dang restorative on so many levels, including on the mind. Yes. And just the, the the process of going out and being exposing your eyes and your skin to natural full spectrum sunlight, to varied temperatures, to all of the different chemicals that are are coming off of the trees and the plants, and you know the the, the ways that your eyes naturally will start to scan the horizon. They'll go up. They'll go down. You know, it just it it brings your attentional awareness and your engagement back online compared to you know right now as we're sitting having this conversation it's like pretty simple environment you know and it's an environment that you and i have both been in for probably hundreds or thousands of hours so there's a lot of reason for our our minds attentional capacities to wane because it's just kind of like oh yeah same freaking room same freaking screen same textures just, just just a bunch of the same like why would i work so hard to be present for this moment Whereas outside suddenly becomes this whole theme park of smells and sights and textures and danger. And suddenly the mind starts to percolate and starts to come online and, and like I think starts to, to heal. Absolutely. And, and that's the whole irony that we've, you know, we're in front of our screens and our screens are sucking up our attention. And you know, we're, they're they're inhibiting us from going outside and experiencing uh, a range yeah. of different kinds of stimuli. Or what's what also happens is you know we we take our phones with us, and yeah. instead of enjoying the sound of the birds or listening to the leaves rustling, our attention is on our phones, and we're trying to text or, you know, trying to read something. And uh, we could be in Times Square. It doesn't matter, right? Because yeah. that's where our attention is being focused. Yeah. And so when a person is on some task and they lose attention and they open up another tab, uh, how long does it take to regain attention? So we found that there's a, there's a pattern of behavior that if you're interrupted from a task, uh, it takes on average of about 25 and a half minutes to resume that interrupted task. Now, what happens in that 25 minute period? Are, are people just daydreaming? No, they're, they're moving on to other tasks. So the, the pattern is you, you get it interrupted and then you move on to another task, you get interrupted from that, move on to another one, get interrupted, start to work on a third hmm. task, and then you go back and resume the first task. This is this is a general pattern of behavior, right? So you can think of it as interruptions as being nested, 
we interrupt ourselves and then we get interrupted from that interruption and so on. That's very interesting. That's a, yeah, it's like you're in like this exponential exponential spiral of interruption. <laughs> we we do and that's you know we're, and we're used to it and and we're used to working in a in a world of interruptions. So what are the can a person do some type of like can we shock our, our, our brains with some type of electrical stimulation to re-hardwire things? Can we eat a handful of psychedelics? Can we do some type of therapeutic, you know, talk therapy technique, some type of somatic therapy technique? Can we start introducing more cardiovascular exercise? Can we start playing an instrument? Like what's, what are, what are some, some paths to start to reintegrate these pathways in our in our minds to be less distracted. Well, I I do think exercise is great. I'm a great believer of exercise. I'm a great believer of people replenishing their attention and and doing what I call rote activity. And rote activity is something where you're you're lightly engaged, but you're not really you know fully challenged. And we find uh, in our research that people are happiest when they're doing rote activity. And what do I mean by rote activity? It could be a mindless game on, on your phone. It could be solitaire. It could be social media. could be crossword puzzles. Um, it, it, you know, so the, um, the, the philosopher uh, Wittgenstein said that he got his greatest ideas when he would peel potatoes. The, mm. the rote activity of peeling potatoes was for him a way that, you know, he was, you have to be somewhat engaged in doing that, right? And yet it enabled his mind to, in the background, to, to be working. And so I think this kind of replenishment is, is really important. Um, exercise is, is a wonderful way to yeah. get your resources back. Yeah, there is there is research in the the Albert Einstein School of Medicine. I think is how they how they call the school. It suggested that that dance was the the longest lever to reduce cognitive decline compared to crossword puzzles, compared to like a bunch of brain games and all the, you know all the different things. Is it was attuning one's self to music. And particularly attuning oneself to music in relation to another person, you know, and so within that there's, and then within that, it's just it, it, the, you know, the ante gets raised up where, you know, you have the potential judgment of another person and, you know, breaking through that and maybe tapping into some flow state. And it's just, a, you're, you're juggling a lot of information within that. And it's also something that's, that's um, enjoyable. You know, where it's, it's it's something that it can become almost like this, like, wow, like I feel so free. I love that. You know, it's just through something as simple as 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 dance. I, I compared love to that. like the idea of like, oh, I gotta I gotta work my brain back into places like, well, maybe not. You know, and it, well actually so sorry, I'm talking too much in this, but the I, I think something with this is I don't remember the, the the date on this, but there was the the, the polls around the, the amount of um, the level of engagement people have with their work in I think it was the United States, and it's like very low. You know, it's like it's, there's there's it's not just that most people aren't really that engaged with their work, but there's 
there's a good percentage of people that are actually actively disengaged, you know, and like sabotaging their work where it's like their day to day life, the thing that their, their vocation, the thing that they, you know, are, are focused on. It's like, they just don't want to be there. Uh, I, I love that idea about dance, the, the restorative value of dance. And, you know, the other thing about dance is that uh, people have this inherent um, ability to experience rhythm. And mm-hmm. um, the, the, the great uh, musician John Coltrane was mm-hmm. able to go off on a you know free form transcendence of you know playing and then he would come right back and pick up the tempo without missing a beat and you know people we respond to rhythm and so i think this idea of you know dance being restorative is you know it's it's so important uh, it's not just the um, it's not just the music and the movement, but the idea that we we get to express that part of us that resonates with rhythm. What about a nutritional perspective in relation to attention? Is there some um, food groups or particular superfoods or whatever that would be supportive for increasing our intention or, or decreasing? So I, I am not an expert on nutrition. Um, obviously there's caffeine that, that increases Mm. our, um, uh, uh, energy and, and alertness. Uh, so I mean, the, the only thing I can speak to is the, the value of eating well and, uh, you know, keeping your, your blood sugar stable, uh, over the day, I, I know that's worked for a lot of people um, because, mm. you know, if your blood sugar declines, that can affect your attention. So, yeah, uh, yeah blood sugar is a big one. Are there other particular practices people could engage with to start to regroove their their habits, their intentional habits that you? Yeah, I would say getting getting a good night's sleep and, and yeah, that's major. focusing on, you know, good quality sleep because that replenishes the mind and then you can start your day and you know, you, you're ready to go. Uh, when you, you know, don't have a good night's sleep or you don't sleep long enough. And if this happens over several days, you accumulate what's called sleep debt. And as your debt gets bigger and bigger, it, it affects your ability to pay attention. So it's, mm. it's very important to, get good sleep. What do you see for the future of our mind's ability to remain attentive to a task? Yeah. So I, I actually think there are, there are three levels that where, you know, where there can, where progress can be made. And the first level is individual. And we talked about how an individual can develop agency. You know, we talked about the the idea of meta awareness is a technique, it's a practice, a practicing forethought, um, making sure that you uh, have scheduled breaks uh, during the day so you're not exhausting your your mental resources. Um, but there's also at a, an organizational level, organizations can um, arrange 
the time for when electronic communications are sent so that they're not just happening all the time, you know, like this free form uh, circus of communication, but they can restrict it to maybe batching email for several times a day. And then it rewires people's expectations for, you know, we find in our research, people check their email 77 times a day on average. And if you know email is coming three times a day, that's going to reset your um, your behavior. You know, you may yeah. you may habitually check it for a while, and then you realize it's not going to come until one p.m. Yeah, I feel as we're talking about this, I feel like from my limited perception of these things, it seems like one of the the, the biggest issues around attention, perhaps, is a lack of engagement in one's life. And the continual uh, distraction seems to be some level of avoidance of what's in front of them. And it seems perhaps, and I'm obviously like reaching here, but there's a lot of aspects of ourselves that we perhaps may feel unexpressed. I just got done with a a, a five-night darkness retreat where just literally just like a few days ago where I was just sitting alone in a dark room for for uh is 108 hours actually exactly which is interesting because like 108 beads on a one of those prayer necklaces and whatnot um you know and in that time something that I experienced was a, a lot of deep unexpressed um, like emotions of sorts and personality traits and expressions and theater and comedy and sorrow and anger and rage and rah, like all of these different aspects of self kind of came to the surface because there was nothing else to do other than allow these aspects of self to kind of like move through come up it feels kind of uncomfortable oh what is this oh i want to run i want to go and like oh, oh. there's nowhere to distract I'll just let this move through. Mm. And it was an interesting like witnessing in a way of my my own, um, I don't know, like personhood, you could say, mm-hmm. or personality or self-expression. And I, I, I wonder how much of people's uh, seeming addiction to distraction could be some type of avoidance of internal suffering. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, I love that. I mean, I, 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 maybe at some time I would love to try this, uh, you know, just spending time alone. Um, mm. You know, the, the problem is that our, our culture is such that we're so wrapped up in our technology. It's really hard to, to break away and to, to be alone without the technology and mm-hmm. to experience what's what's really going on inside of ourselves we're so we're outward looking to the technology right to all mm-hmm. the different apps and we respond to interruptions um by by the way uh people are just as likely to self-interrupt as they are to be interrupted by some notification or something you know on the screen or the chime of a text Inside themselves, people interrupt, uh, you know, you have a memory of something or an urge to do something. So, you know, the interruptions come from different directions. But, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, we've created a culture for ourselves where it's very hard 
for people to pull away. Um, you know, do it, doing a digital detox uh, is is great, but it's it's not a permanent solution because yeah. you know people need to be connected with family, loved ones, colleagues. You know, if you're a working person, so you know you would only penalize yourself if you did a detox for you know for a lengthy period. I'd like to take a moment and share something that has been massively supportive for my cognitive function and also my taste buds. That is Kala Genius from By Optimizers. I love putting this stuff in my coffee. If you're a person that is dealing with brain fog, has difficulty focusing, recalling names, dates, where you left things, and things of the sort, I think listen up because this stuff, it really works and it's incredibly delicious. It combines collagen, cacao, and four different types of mushrooms. Those are lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and chaga. This cutting edge blend fights brain fog, helps repair your brain, improve your ability to focus, and boosts something called BDNF, which stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which supports improved learning and memory power. After drinking a serving of Collagenius, you will feel more calm, alert, energized, and it is incredibly supportive for just general clarity of thought. I really enjoy the way I feel after it. If you guys want to get yourself a 10% discount and try the stuff, which they have a one year money back guarantee. If you don't absolutely love it, if you don't feel the difference, get your money back. I implore you, uh, but I think you're really going to like it. Uh, you can go to newtopia.com slash align genius. That's N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A dot com slash align genius a-l-i-g-n-g-e-n-i-u-s you can use align 10 at checkout to get any buy optimizers product um, at a 10 percent discount this stuff is delicious i love putting in my coffee every morning i am a really big fan of it it's just it just tastes good makes me feel good uh, and you get yourself 10 percent off by going to newtopia.com slash align genius align 10 at checkout for 10 percent on any product from buy optimizers like to take a moment and share something that I find to be invaluable for improving the quality and absorption of my hydration that is supplementing with Element. Why I like Element is it tastes delicious. It makes the process of drinking water way more enjoyable. Uh, it is a science-backed electrolyte blend of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Uh, they don't have any kind of junk, no sugar, no coloring, artificial ingredients, gluten, BS is cut from it, uh, comes from a founder that I really know and appreciate, um, Rob Wolf. He's been on this podcast a couple of times. We've known each other for years. Uh, I just am a fan of this stuff. I use it every day. I put it in my coffee in the morning, the chocolate sea salt. Um, I use it when I'm at the gym, if I'm doing a sauna. I think this stuff's great. I think you guys will get a lot of value from it as well. They have 100% money back guarantee, and you can get a free sample pack with the purchase of anything from them. So you can try all their flavors just by going to drinklmnt.com slash align. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash align. And uh, you get yourself a free sample pack to try all of their flavors. 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. I think you guys are going to dig this stuff. Go check it out. Drinklmnt.com slash align. I feel like in a, in, a, in a way, and this is, you know, I'm not like a scientist of this stuff. So most of the things that I suggest are just like, I feel um, like the technology is a convenient scapegoat, but is not in fact the root of any of this. 
And it seems like it's, it's just a, perhaps it's like manifested in a way as a, a coping mechanism, you know, and then, and it's like, then we could look at the coping mechanism as, and obviously technology is like brilliant and amazing and allows us to do so much. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's, it's really fantastic in a lot of ways, but it's kind of like saying like guns kill people or money makes people bad or technology makes people distracted. It's like, mm, I think there's something deeper. You know, that, that, that there's, there's, I, I, I wonder if I personally have experienced, I'm sure, you know, probably about a hundred percent of people listening to this have experienced when I'm really engaged with what I'm doing, cause I'm just like, this is fucking awesome. Like, I just want to be right here. I really want to be right here. I don't give a shit about my cell phone. You know, like, like the messages can rack up or whatever. And I come back and like, oh, well, like I, you know, I forgot about that thing, but it's, it's that, that, the, that mundane, you know, just kind of monotony of just, okay, another day, just paying the bills, doing this in this job that I don't really feel passionate about with these people that I'm not really inspired by Mm -hmm. in this geographical location that I'm not really that like, just kind of like, and then it's like, is it the external factors or is it my internal perception of those? But I think the game gets kind of more, I think there's more depth to it than it being as convenient as like technology is ruining our minds. I totally agree with you. I I think it's um, there's there's a lot of changes in our culture that we still have to try and understand. So we we are still in the wild west of technology. I mean, the internet is is not very old, right? It came into widespread popular use in the mid nineties. So you know, we're still trying to figure out how we can manage it. And, you know, what's happening is that there's so much energy put into developing new kinds of technologies. And, you know, there there's new apps, but we haven't figured out how humans can really use that technology and use it in a way that can can help us and not exhaust us and still allow for us to experience nature and the world and humans in in mm. person yeah and uh, i think it's from buddhism there's an idea of the like the, the the hungry ghost realm which is like a a state of mind i think it's also it could be suggested like a person is reincarnated into this for, for a lifetime um, but I'm reading a book presently. I don't remember the name of it, um, but it kind of gets into the, the metaphor and the representations of these different realms, particularly around the, the Buddhist wheel of life. And one of these realms is called the realm of the hungry ghost. And it, within that, it's it's essentially it's like this insatiable appetite for more. Mm. You know, the the individual is just like I just can't ever really get or feel satiated. And I think that that's, to me, that's that sensation of perpetually, you know, flipping your social media thing and watching it spin and like waiting for the new update, you know, or maybe checking your, your financial situation on mint or checking your emails or just say, oh, is there something, is there something more? Is there something more? Oh, you know, it's just like, oh, feed me, but I can never actually really truly be fulfilled. I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think that people, you know, technology has become a means for people to satisfy what did you call it a hung, hungry 
the realm of the hungry ghost. The hungry yeah. ghost. Uh, yeah. It's it's a means for us to enact that those actions of getting more and satisfying that hungry ghost. Absolutely. What fulfill what fulfills you? Uh, friendships fulfill mm. me, and um, you know, be, being with my family, uh, it, people. Ultimately, it's people that fulfill me, right. and and I'm most fulfilled when I'm in a face-to-face conversation with people. And of yeah, course, it's not always possible. Uh, you know, my two children currently live in different continents, so technology plays a role in enabling us to connect, but it, it really can't replace face-to-face uh, interaction. And it would make sense that, you know, this hungry ghost analogy uh there in modern day it seems an, an another analogy from alan watts is is um you know that we're we're eating the menu and confusing it for the meal you know, and so we have a, a lot of substitute versions of friendship and uh, intimacy and um mentorship and you know all of these things that forever in our ancestral history would be face-to-face one-on-one kind of coming back to like the albert einstein uh, school of medicine research mm-hmm. around cognitive function being like oh it's like dance with somebody you know like all of all the other stuff is just noise just fucking dance with somebody and like whoosh, suddenly the the mind starts to integrate yeah you know, and it, it, yeah. it's, it's, we, I think we, we often are um, kind of like hoodwinked into believing that the solution to the, the, our condition is actually through the, the thing that's maybe not causing the problem, but you know, it's, it's on the forefront of, of causing or it's causing is not the right word. Uh, catalyzing, I guess you could you could say, yeah. the conditions like oh, what's the what's is there an app to help with my attention? Yeah. Is there some type of attention? Is there some type of the irony of technology helping us to deal with technology? Um, I yeah. so I I'm not a luddite in the sense that I I don't I myself would not want to give up technology, and I'm I remain fascinated with technology, but I believe that we still need to get a a grasp of how we can use it in our lives. And like I said, we're we're still in the Wild West and we're still trying to figure this out and we're getting ourselves overwhelmed with it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do think in the future that we will find a path forward to be able to figure this out so that people can use technology in a more optimal way without getting stressed um, and and really discovering the benefits of it. And I do think, for example, social media definitely has its harms, right? There's there's definitely a, a lot of problems with it, spreading misinformation, uh, cyberbullying. There's, there's a number of problems with it. But I also see... Uh, potential for good in the sense that we can connect with other people. 
And we can't, we can't have meaningful relationships over social media. I don't believe we can, but we can use it as perhaps a jumping off point so that we can then maybe connect with people in another way that's more meaningful. Um, what, what is misinformation? How, do, how does one define misinformation? Uh, it's information that's, that's not true. It's leading you mm. down a, a wrong path. Do you believe there is value in regulating uh, opinions? That's you know it's a tough question because it it gets into um, you know free speech. I I do think that information that's deliberately spreading falsehoods needs to be uh, identified and marked, and people need to know that this information that you're seeing, you know. This has been fact checked and it's wrong. It's just wrong. But who 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 regulates that? So if if both sides and this goes into a totally different conversation, but if both sides truly believe what they're saying, and there's been a you know a significant like misinformation, I think is a new a pretty like new newfangled word in the last you know couple of years or whatever. And pretty consistently, there's been a lot of things that were deemed absolute misinformation that then within you know six months were like, oh, actually, you know, our bad. That was that was actually correct. Um, so where from your just because of using the terms, I'm kind of curious. Like, is there is there value in um, preventing someone to be able to speak what feels true to them on the internet? Well. You know, again, it's it's getting into the whole free speech issue. But if a person is spreading information that's false and that can potentially, especially if it can potentially harm another person, then I do think that this needs to be called out and needs to be stated. Hey, this this has been fact checked. It's it's not true. So you know, you. You can look at it, but take it for what it's worth, which means it's it's just not true. Yeah, but then you have to come back to like whose facts and who owns science, and you know it's it becomes a like a very nuanced conversation. I think like like a lot of things, but if you are you know the church, for example, and you've fact checked that these people are witches, and it's like sorry, or you've fact checked that the Earth is flat, or you've fact checked that the sun revolves around the earth or you've fact checked any of that. Like you were the authority, you own science, you are the fact checker and you were wrong. Not you, but like that, that institution. And so it becomes a very, very slippery situation when we're like, well, we fact, well, who fact checked? Well, I mean, science is a good example because um, scientific articles are peer reviewed and Mm -hmm. it's, it's the best thing we have and peer reviews, can be wrong, or facts in, that are published in a scientific paper um, may tell a story at some point, and then someone comes along, does a different study, and mm. disputes those originally yeah. published facts. And that's the building block of science. That's how it works. But you know, the peer review system is it's the best thing we have. You know, yeah. and it's it's not perfect, but it's it's pretty good. 
I think like the definition of science essentially is like an on, this is not an exact definition, but something along the lines of it's like an ongoing process of disproving itself. Yes. It's, it's, so that's the, the, I like science in and of itself, at least in the definition that I, you know, think I somewhat kind of sort of understand is very dynamic. And when it comes into bump, we've stamped it. Like we've nailed it. It's like, I don't even know that that's very but, scientific. But that's, but, but that's what science should be. It should be trying to disprove things. And so you're, you're doing yeah. studies to try to disprove something. You shouldn't just be confirming a result. You should try to disprove it. And yeah, if you can't exactly. disprove it, then, you know, it stands. Yeah. There's a, this is, this is, we're completely off the topic that we were, but the last thing I think is interesting with that is there's a, have you, have you ever heard of Semmelweis syndrome? No. Some, Ignaz Semmelweis is the fellow that, um, I guess you could say he was, well, his, it wasn't germ theory that he discovered. Um, that was, I think that was, was that Louis Pasteur? Uh, but Semmelweis, what he, he was the first person to suggest that, perhaps doctors should wash their hands uh, before delivering babies because the spreading of germs. Mm -hmm. And before that, that was like, bro, like, what are you talking about? This germ stuff, like wash your hands. What are you talking about? Uh, and so they were going um, from, I think they were actually like working with like, uh, I don't know, something dirty. I, th I think perhaps cadavers or something of the sort. And then they were going to deliver babies and some of us is like, bro, I think uh, these babies and these mothers are, getting sick or having issues because we're not sanitary enough. And he ended up being completely outcasted and he ended up uh, going completely insane mm. um, and ended up being institutionalized. And I believe he, he ended up killing himself in the institution. Uh, and then after that found out that he was correct. And it's just an, it's an, there's, there's, you know, a lot of instances of these like, you know, Semmelweis scenarios where it's to, to me, my perception has, has really come to a place of like, man, what do I know? And what is information and misinformation and facts? And you know, just to be in the state of listening and to be in the state of, of, you know, continually questioning is something I really I actually value about the internet. Yeah. It's, it's very important to, to continually question. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. you know, to, to, to take a scientific perspective towards something and, you know, you, try to disconfirm something and if you can't then it stands and then someone yeah. else may come along and try to disconfirm it yeah well um thank you so much for getting up to uh for creating uh your book which comes out uh, on january 10th january 10th it's it's called oh. attention span cool and it's so so finding focus for a fulfilling life um, yeah, the, the so that I think I think that, that in the subtitle, like I feel like that really is the solution from my opinion. It's the the, the fulfillment. I, I would imagine a higher degree of fulfillment would translate to a higher degree of attention. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and then there's ways to cultivate one's attention, which then that would trickle into. Uh, greater levels of fulfillment. I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah, I think it goes both ways. Uh, well, thank you so much. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? The book comes out January 10th. It'll be sold in bookstores and on the Amazons and all, all the places I, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I, I would want to leave listeners with the idea that in, in our digital age, 
let's let's strive for achieving well-being and mm. and if you can if you can achieve well-being and a, a positive net balance of happiness when you're using your devices then productivity will come along the way right when yeah. we're happier we can do more and that's what I would like to leave people with. Thank you so much. Well, I, I really, truly appreciate you. And I really had a great time. Thank you. I did uh, too. Connecting with you here. And um, I think that that is it. And that is all. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. One of the best ways to support this podcast, if that's of interest, is to subscribe to this podcast. Also, if you're inclined to share with any friends, if you feel like these conversations are meaningful, I greatly appreciate that. And as well, leaving us reviews on wherever you listen to this is amazing. I read every one. I appreciate it. And uh, that is it. That is all. I hope you have an amazing holiday and I'll see you next week.